but it was a big service and it was a powerful service. And um, I often think, why do we have these kind of nights? Even the question, why do we do church? Why do we worship? Why do you worship? Because we love God. What an answer. That was just about what I was about to say. Um, we asked this question on Sunday night, and for those who, who were there, I'm sharing a, a really similar message, just expanded a little bit, so please hang in there with me. Um, I hope that you can get something out of this morning. I was praying all week last week about what God wanted to say to our church, and specifically in that Sunday night service, and I felt God prompt those questions in me. And what I came to was that at our core, we worship God because we love God. We worship God because we love God. Worship in its basic definition is an expression of adoration. And so worship is adoration, and it comes from a place of loving God. But in our consumeristic society and in modern church, we can be guilty of adding things to Jesus or adding things to the gospel, almost like they're bolt-on packages or bonus deals. Serve him, you get this. Do this, he'll do this. And whilst these things are true, they can sometimes distract from what God, from the gospel, from what God ultimately sent his son on earth for us to do. It's our need to put things into human steps and processes our need to add religion to the gospel. Yep, religion. I believe that God wants us to bring us to a point of reset this morning. We worship because we love God full stop. We love God. Sometimes it almost seems like an insignificant step or too simple, like it's not profound enough. Just love God. But it is out of our love for God that everything else flows. We don't need to package it. We don't need to add to it. We just need Jesus. In John 4, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he said, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is addressing the nature of worship at that time. For so long through the Old Testament, and even creeping into the New Testament, worship was all about an outward sacrifice, an external action that had no reflection of the inward spirit. But as you read that scripture... Jesus is talking about spirit and truth. It's all about the inner being. This moment where of worship we're about to go into, because we've restructured the service, is a moment where we do take an outward posture. We do make an outward stance and we do sing songs, but they should all be a reflection of our inner spirit. And sometimes we just need to reset and remember that. And if it's not profound enough for you, it's not profound enough for you. It's that simple. I've become, uh, it's that simple, leads really well into this. 
I've become a bit of like an Apple or electrical product um, hotline for my family. <laughs> Most of the time, it's because they forgot their password or they like got the wrong glasses on, but <laughs> mum, dad, nana, granddad, it's a constant hotline, and they call me, oh, hey, how you going? Yeah, yeah. Just wondering if you can come around. Oh, they want me to come over. I've got a problem with my iPad. And more often than not, as any person that works in a corporate environment or just understands a computer, the problem is you just need to turn it on, off, and then turn it on again, right? And sometimes I picture, I picture God shouting at us this morning going, have you tried the on-off button yet? <laughs> have you come back to what it really means to love God? Sometimes we need to reset. And I think it describes it so clearly in Revelation, and I will make this dad joke again this morning, that clearly in Revelation, the book of Revelation is almost an oxymoron. But let's have a look at three sections from chapter 2, 3, and 4. In these scriptures, God challenges our systems, He challenges our soul, and He challenges our self or our identity. Our systems, our soul, and our self-identity. They are three challenges that we can look at, not as bolt-on packages, but as steps that we might be able to take or consider that would actually strip back the things that we may have added on. If you are new to church this morning, I'm so excited that you're here. I hope that I can unpack this clearly enough. But if you were to get any message from this morning, it would be that we can't wait to get to know you and that we believe that God has an amazing plan for your life. It's not all sunshine and roses, but it is full of purpose. And we don't want you to change. We want you to believe in Jesus and believe that God sent His only Son onto our earth to experience pain, to be crucified on a cross in order that we may have eternal life when we believe in Him. That's our story. And we believe it's powerful, and we believe that when you put your faith in Him, you can't help but be transformed. So I hope you're encouraged today. Can we pray? Let's do it. Dear God, I don't believe you are a confusing God. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak through me by your Spirit, and that the words that I say would settle in the hearts of those who are open to hear it in a way that you want it to settle, God. Lord, I pray that you would strip away all the things of me that are of flesh and that you would be the one speaking this morning. I pray that we would experience transformation this morning as we strip back the things that we have added on to your message. In Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation 2, verses 2 to 5, God, through John, throws down a pretty big wake-up call. I believe this passage is what addresses a system, particularly our system of religion and worship. In verse 2, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you, can no lo you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You sound like a pretty good guy. Yet I hold this against you. 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I know your deeds. I know what you have done. I know how you have suffered, how you have trusted me. You have done, 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 done. And yet, did you forget me? I didn't even know that was possible. Sometimes we can add so much that we don't even consider that this might even be a problem in our lives. Did you forget the message of the gospel is believe and receive, not behave and be saved? It's almost like God is saying, when he says, come back to our first love, it's like he's saying you have missed the point. Have we missed the point this morning? Maybe we haven't. I'm not saying we all have. I just want us to consider what we could take off that could allow more of God on. When I think of first love, I picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he uttered those words, Abba, Father. And I know that theologians will argue that the real definition of that word, but I don't think there's any argument that it was an intimate term for a father, similar to our expression of the word, Daddy. I think Jesus knew what it meant to consider God his first love. What would it look like to remove religion from our worship? Religion in this sense is a system, a system of worship. What would it look like to remove systems from our worship? And then it goes on and says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I think if we reinforce religion... We risk refusing grace. And if we refuse to recognize the grace of God, He will take our influence away. There's something powerful in that. God calls us back to when we first loved Him. He reminds us of His unmerited favor, His willingness to provide power on our behalf, His grace. But we just had communion. We just gave our tithe. We come to church every Sunday. Is that not religion? Yeah. So then it poses the question, is there good and bad religion? Too big of a question for me to answer right now. But what I will say is that it may be a question of purpose. And in one hand, we come to church on a Sunday because it's all about community. And in the other hand, I think that question of purpose is the question of, is what we are doing on a Sunday, is our religion bringing focus on God's grace? Because I would say that religion which reminds us of grace becomes a revelation of who God is. If our religion and the steps that we are taking on a Sunday morning aren't bringing us to a point of understanding more about God's grace, then what are they doing? It's a good question to be asking in church, isn't it? We don't want to be sitting here doing the same thing. 
We said this morning in our prayer meeting that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So many different ways to say that it is not what we do that gets us into heaven, it's who we believe in. And human history, the history of the church, would suggest that we need a reminder of that every now and again. Come back to our first love. What did it look like in that moment that we first decided to believe in Jesus? How do we feel on the inside? Have you bolted on anything since then? Come back to our first love. Now, the second point is in Revelation 3. If we thought Revelation 2 was strong, try this one on. I know, actually, before I say that, I shouldn't joke, because I really do want us to consider the condition of our soul as we read this scripture. Let's not separate ourselves from scripture and think, isn't it harsh that he said that in that time? No, the word is God-breathed word for us now. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so that you will be able to see. Symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and our belief in him. Verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Welcome to church, that's right. I love when the Bible gets black and white, though. Don't you? What is the condition of your soul right now? How would you describe it? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you lukewarm? For me, this was the scripture that changed my life. For so long, I lived a lukewarm life. I felt that I needed acceptance from everyone around me, so I would do anything for that acceptance. And it wasn't until I realized that my acceptance came from Jesus that I started to live an on-fire life for God. Lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out, Sunday-only Christians are unpalatable to our God. Who are you letting guide your heart? I think that's the question here. I think of this as that hot or cold game that we do with kids, you know, where they're they're blindfolded, and as I'm walking over here, you guys are yelling like, hot, hot, hot. And I think sometimes in our mind, it's like God's over there, and He's trying to direct us over here. And we've got this whole world out here trying to direct us over here. And all we can hear are all of these voices yelling and we can't find where we're meant to be in life. Hot, cold, lukewarm. But God's word is the compass to our life. 
And if we want to listen to this voice over here who is guiding us onto the path of life, we need to read His Word. That's the way that we can drown out all of the other voices, all of the other pressure in our world. Read your Word, get into your Bible. It's the compass for your soul. And fire takes ignition, and that's what last Sunday was all about. And you've probably noticed the wood down here in front of me. I'm loving the uh, demonstrations of late although I have to get them checked by people first now. Um, but our decision to follow after Jesus is that ignition point. It's when a fire begins on the inside of us, but it is what we fuel that fire with that determines our life's direction. And God isn't scolding you like a headmaster in this scripture. He says that he disciplines everyone that he loves and the discipline is meant to turn us to a point where we are the ones that are scolding, hot, and on fire. Choose to ignite a flame this morning that no word of negativity, no act of sin, no doubt or fear could put out that fire for God. Return to your first love and ignite a fire in your heart. Challenge your systems of thought and worship and shine the light of truth of God's word onto your soul. Ignite a fire in your soul. How? <laughs> because I understand this sounds a little complex. Enter Revelation 4. John paints a picture of the elders surrounding the throne and he says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns, their identity, their titles, their self-worth, their identity, their labels before the throne. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. How do we return to our first love? How do we ignite that fire in our heart? It begins by laying down ourself. Laying down ourself. Remind yourself of grace. Set your soul on fire with His Word. And then lay down yourself for God and for others. And they lay their crowns before the throne. Revelation 2, 3, and 4 challenge a system the condition of our soul and our self and our identity. They call us to repent. It says, repent and do the things you did at first. Turn. Turn from your indifference and lay down. They laid their crowns before the throne. Repent, turn, and lay down. What are you going to do this week? Remind yourself of grace Ignite your soul with the Word of God and lay down your life for others and for God. How? Still? Basically, we need to lay down the stuff that we have bolted on and change our position. It's a shift of our posture and our position in order to reset. What could you do differently this week to return to your first love? Could you lay down something? 
Often in church, we call that fasting. Is there something this week that you could lay down in order to open up for more of God? Could you commit to reading your Bible every day and praying? Do you need to shift your posture onto others? I love this one. Find one person every day to encourage. It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's less so about that person and more so about what it does inside of us. Send them a message. Stop them in the corridor at your work and just say, hey, thank you for what you did back there. That really made a difference. Have a good day. Walk forward. What could we do this week to shift our position, to open ourselves up for more of God? Pick something and commit to it. Next week, we're celebrating what God is doing through our church in 2019. So let's come fired up next Sunday. On the topic of fire, (laughs) those who are laughing know that I'm a self-confessed pyromaniac. If there were AA meetings, like PA meetings for Pyromaniacs Anonymous, I would be there. I don't know what it is that I love about fire, but I just love fire. My parents will tell you varying stories and some factual, some not. (laughs) But I do know that around the age of six, I found myself in their walk-in robe, locked in their walk-in robe. (laughs) And I'd searched for everything to get me out and I must have found a pack of matches in there some way and I thought, if I can burn a hole through this carpet, I might just be able to escape. (laughs) I, I, I tried. And it it wasn't the hole in the carpet that got me out of the room, but I was taken out pretty quickly. (laughs) Fire is powerful though, right? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's this problem we have with men where we just want power. I don't know. I just like to burn stuff. But the, (laughs) the Bible talks about fire a lot, doesn't it? We use it in all different kinds of contexts and we sing songs about fire and it's this interesting element because in one hand it provides warmth and it propels our vehicles and in the other hand it can destroy our homes it can burn us and even kill us and the bible kind of talks about it in a similar way in james 3 it says and among all the parts of the body the tongue is a flame of fire it is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. Fire is powerful. Yet in Acts 2 verses 3 to 4, it says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Two tongues, both flames, different results. So what's the difference? I think it's fuel and it's purpose. One is about self and fueled by wickedness and the other is fueled by the Holy Spirit and God and focused on others because Acts 2 goes on to tell us that how those people spoke in other languages and ultimately it led to 3,000 people being added to the church. 
that day. I think I want that kind of fire. How do we return to our first love? How do we ignite the fire in our heart? Well, fire needs oxygen to exist in the first place. So it's very difficult to light a fire when the substance won't allow oxygen in. Enter demonstration time. Oh, I love these demonstrations. When we're lighting a fire, it needs oxygen, right? But oftentimes, I think with God, our lives start like this. I've picked three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can read into it what you will. But we add things on. Religion. Pain. Life circumstances. Sin, greed, a bit more religion. And we build ourselves up. And I picture it like this wood on the stage. But all of you firebugs out there know that it's almost impossible to light that on fire without the help of some petrol. And so what I picture us doing this morning and what I picture the elders doing when they came before the throne, knelt and laid down their crowns, what they were doing was taking off the things of themselves. Our job title, our need for acceptance from others, our sin, those things that we have bolted on to Christianity, unforgiveness. Whatever it could be in your life that is blocking you from hearing from God. God's always speaking. Sometimes we're not always listening. And so the elders came and they laid down their crowns. But it was also their posture that changed. They knelt before the throne. And so I picture us having to reset those basic things in our life. There we go. There we go. It takes time to do this process. Maybe it takes a few prayers. Look what I can do with this analogy. Yep, look, added a bit of self and pride there and it all tumbled over. Oh, this worked so much better earlier. There we go. Sometimes we need a shift of posture in order to allow the oxygen of the Holy Spirit to flow within us and ignite a fire that stirs up a passion based on our love for God, right? What do we fuel that fire with? That's the second question. Because we can set these up in just the same way. Can't we? Fuel and purpose. What are we fueling this fire? Can we fuel this fire with more greed? Or are we fueling this fire with generosity? With a love for God? 
by reading his word, by scripture. We have to lay down ourself and we have to shift our posture to allow the Holy Spirit to move within us. This morning as we worship, and I'll invite the team up here, we structured this service that we could spend this time to do just that, to lay down our crowns of worry, of pride, of guilt, of shame, and to shift our posture in worship towards God. Take time. I invite you to take time to come kneel on the altar. Come forward for prayer. You know that Jesus said that he would make our yoke easy, our burden light. Prayer is powerful. Sometimes someone coming alongside you and agreeing with the promises in his word under the name of Jesus can shift something in our life. Raise your arms as a symbol of your inner spirit. You know, we had a worship night at the end of last year. And um, as I think about it now, I get a little bit red-faced and embarrassed because something in me just, I felt like I was holding back as I worship. I'm not a good singer. I thank God for those up here who can sing. But I just felt like God was prompting me to shout, just to let something out. And I think Ellie was standing over here and I was just shouting the words and shouting her down. And I'm not encouraging you to do that because I want to hear the music too and not have you shouting in the back of my head. But, but for me, it was something that I could do just to shift the normal out of how I worship, the system out of how I worship. So we're going to go into the final song, songs. And as you stand this morning, I really hope that you open your heart, your mind, your ears to what God wants to say to you this morning. If we could close our eyes, maybe we could take a time to consider what that crown might be that we could lay down. You know, God's grace isn't on a timeline. It's for our here and now. And there isn't a process of time for His forgiveness. It happens when we ask for forgiveness. We recognize the need for forgiveness and we turn and we move towards doing what we know we need to do. And so maybe you need to lay down something that you've been carrying for a while and ask God to take hold of it. Maybe it's an addiction in any form can lay that down at the cross. You know, at the cross, Scripture says that the land is level. Everyone is level at the cross. 
and it isn't what your sin is. It's that you're holding it onto it. And God wants you to lay it down so that He can forgive you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it is that job title or that desire for it. Maybe it is the new car. What is it that's consuming your mind and your thoughts and distracting you from God? Lord, I pray this morning that as we enter into this time of worship, that you would move powerfully within us, Lord, that as we take an outward posture, an outward stance, that you would see that desire of our heart for you to fill us with more of your spirit, that it would fill up every area of our heart, our mind, and our body. Lord, I ask for breakthrough this morning. I ask for healing because of the faith of those who are willing to step forward, stand on your word, and agree with others in prayer. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we do everything because of that love. Help us to love you as unconditionally as you love us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So when you go into that time of prayer and worship and it's extended and I do invite you, if you come and kneel at the altar, we're not gonna come and pray for you. We're gonna take that as your symbol that you're just laying something down. But if you come and you stand at the front, we would love to pray with you. If you wanna take that time in your seat right now to just abandon your current circumstances and take the time to worship God, please do that. If you would like to invite Jesus into your life, that same invitation that Nana gave at the start of the service, come to the front and we're gonna ask you, what would you like prayer for? And you can say, I wanna know Jesus and we'll walk with you on that journey because it is a journey and we're here to walk that journey with you.